0: Welcome back to the DealMakers podcast show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. So this episode is brought to you by NorthPass Business. Again, small businesses and startups, they often work with limited resources and reduce costs wherever possible. While this is sometimes practical, cybersecurity is one area where you don't want to cut corners. Creating strong, unique passwords for your company's accounts is a surefire way to defend your business from data breaches. However, with the number of personal and work logins we use daily, it's very easy to get password fatigue, leading to reusing the same passwords across accounts. So NordPass Business is a powerful password manager for organizations that removes the difficulty of generating and remembering strong passwords for you and your colleagues. Additionally, it allows for you to integrate single sign-on with your company's Google workspace accounts and effortlessly create groups to share sensitive information across teams and projects. So see NordPass Business in action now with a three-month Free trial by going to NordPass.com forward slash Pantera and use the code Pantera. This episode is brought to you by Basecamp. So Basecamp is a project management and team communication application that has been around for about 18 years and it's used by thousands of companies today. Basecamp is all about simplicity. It is designed to give you and your team the tools you need to get work done. They have message boards, to-dos, file storage, chat, calendar, and much more. Basecamp is built to help you in getting out of your way and let you focus on what matters. Again, you know, like when you're adding a bunch of people, there's a bunch of files that need to be shared. You need to be effective. And that's where Basecamp comes in. They actually are from the guys that brought to you 37 signals. And really, they help in making decisions simple and also effective. So, Go to Basecamp, their pricing is simple and they give you the all all really the features in a single plan, no upsells, no upgrades. Go to Basecamp.com forward slash dealmakers and try Basecamp for free, no credit card required and cancel at any time. Thank you, Basecamp for sponsoring this episode. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Maker show. So I am very excited about the Entrepreneur that we have today, because see, it's, uh, it's someone that has been a lawyer, just like me. So he knows what it feels like to transition. Uh, but uh, but more importantly, he's been there, he's done it multiple times with successes, with lessons learned, everything that you can think of. And he's also going to tell us what he's up to with his latest journey. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Gary Lafebvre. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Alejandro. Very much appreciated. Glad to be here.
0: So let's do a little of a walk through memory lane, Gary. So tell us, how was life growing up in Virginia?
1: Uh, It was great. I was the youngest of four kids, the only son. Uh, I had a mother who is now 92. So at the time, she was a real pioneer in executive banking. And she used to tell me, you can accomplish anything you want to. My father, who ultimately was the senior civil engineer at a major municipality, didn't even have a college degree. And he would tell me the same thing. So I had the support of a a tight family and leadership and mentors who said you can accomplish anything you want to. And so I have and I will.
0: I love that. Now, one thing that is very interesting in your background is that you studied a little bit of business, but then you went into law. So what happened? What took you into the legal world? (laughs)
1: but I came to my senses just as you did, right? So I am a recovering (laughs) attorney. Uh, I hear you. But what happened happened is I studied computer science, computers, uh, and then was with Accenture for a couple of years. But what excited me was not the bits and bytes and how you program the code. It was what technology and particularly data could mean for society. And I started to see that that could have a lot of impact at the, at, at the business level, the concept level, systems level, even political. And so I thought, what the heck, why not get a law degree? And, and I did that. And I'm old enough that at the time it was called computer law, right? Everyone was fixated on the hardware. Didn't take long for people to realize it was the applications and the data. But uh, so that's why I went to law school, actually, was to study what was then called computer law.
0: So then let's talk about, you know, going into the legal route then, because, I mean, you you became a partner in Hogan Lovells, a really great firm as well, and you were there, you know, for 10 years. So obviously, you know, like you saw a lot of stuff, you know, there. I'm sure that you engaged with clients. You were able to see, you know, some of the problems and, and what happened for you to come to your senses and to say, hey, you know what? Pushing paper is not my thing. I'm more, you know, into business and problem solving.
1: So, so what was great for me is because I had the technology degree, and it was the early days. Um, I got to work on amazing matters that uh, many of the other lawyers didn't even understand. So I was working with, uh, you know, companies like CompuServe and Prodigy and AOL in the very early days. And then as the internet started to evolve, it became very clear how transformative all this was. And so I loved the intellectual challenge of practicing law. But after I became partner, as your billing as your billing rate increases, it's harder and harder to touch and be part of the day to day operations of clients, and that's what I really love, right? Is helping clients to be successful. And so at some point, I realized I'd be better served on the other side of the fence, right? Um, instead of the dark side, the, the the light side, as it were. And so that's that's why I left Hogan. But fantastic experience, great colleagues, and I'm I'm glad I did what I did.
0: So then, so then tell us about, you know, that moment where you realize it's time to switch careers.
1: It was almost, in fact, very, very much similar to my realization that computers, for computer's sake, were not as significant as what they, they and the applications and the content could mean for society and for companies and for business and for peoples, right? A similar realization was with a legal mindset, and a knowledge and, and actually a thirst for how technology and data could help shape what people could and couldn't do, that that would have a much, much bigger platform for me to have a play. And so that that's what I went and did uh, and have never looked back with any misgivings or, or you know thoughts that it was the wrong direction.
0: And obviously, you know, like you've definitely used the legal background, you know, you've been general counsel, too, for this company that you have been involved in. So you did switch careers, but you did not leave behind, you know, the, uh, the legal knowledge. So in your case, you know, with the first company, you know, with Women Connect, how did that come about? What, how do you guys go from ideation to launch? What were you guys doing? And most importantly, what was the biggest lesson learned?
1: Yes. Yeah, so uh, the founder of, of WomenConnect.com was a woman named Susan DeFife, who was very active both in politics as well as women's organizations. And she had a theory, which is very true, that women do business differently than men. And that by having a company that took advantage of and allowed women to network and to provide the types of support that they provide to each other while enabling them with business concepts and, and opportunities, you would strike a chord that was missing in in the market. And she was absolutely correct. And so it was a great opportunity uh, for me, because even though I was the only son and three sisters, I'm still a man, right, to learn a lot of these things. And and what I really learned to realize is it's not the exclusive province of either gender, but that women tend to be more cooperative. They tend to look for the win-win-win as opposed to just being aggressive. And so the the dual win at Women Connects was both being uh, a partner with with Susan DeFife to take that company where it went. I left when it was being sold to a bank and also to learn some more of those cooperative type business skills that I think particularly if you do business internationally, you realize it's just not a matter of gender. It's also a matter of different societies, jurisdictions, backgrounds, and being able to be open to those and to not only... Respect those, but embrace those and make the use and benefit of the differences between people was a fantastic learning experience. So, the outcome of womenconnect.com is I learned a lot about dealing with people who have different business perspectives and objectives there. One of the primary differences, obviously, was gender. But in doing that, I also learned that when you'd walk, work with people from different backgrounds, societal positions, uh, geographies around the globe. Looking and embracing those differences actually makes you a lot more intuitive and responsive and anticipatory of what can happen. And that's really an asset when you're doing business globally. So while womenconnect.com exposed me to a lot of the unique aspects of women business owners and professionals, in doing so, it also helped, I think, expand my view of what you should look for when working with people, hopefully quite different from yourself.
0: So then tell us about Internet to Anywhere, because that was your next your next business. So tell us about what was the business model there and what was the lesson learned?
1: So it was a fascinating experience. Uh, A founder of an Israeli tech company whose name was almost my name, but in Israeli, Gideon Lefebvre. Amazing person. At one point, he was the head of the Northern Artillery Command for Israel. But he had this vision. And again, this is a while ago. He had this vision that the Internet should connect anywhere. So this is before TG, 2G, second-generation telephony. And so he actually developed and patented technology that would enable you to signal a device, any device, and wake it up and wake up a particular application. Now, that may seem just second to all of us now, secondary and assumed, but this is before any of that. And so he actually was very early on. The closest you had to that kind of technology was IM messages in the very early days. And so I joined there as as the new CEO, US-based CEO, and worked closely with Gideon and his team. And it was all about literally extending the internet to anywhere. And it was a fantastic experience. But technology overcame us because as 2G networks and other capabilities came about, they actually were designed to accomplish exactly what we were trying to do. By overcoming some of the shortcomings of the prior infrastructure, and so what I learned there is you have to have vision, but you also have to have timing and the best vision in the world can be overcome with the timing of technological advances as as what's happened at internet to anywhere
0: now, in this case, you know like for you, you know this was a nice segue for f ten so obviously the um the f ten you know like was a pretty successful outcome, you know so probably the 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 one of the biggest that you've had to date. But F10, you know, tell us what was the business model of F10 and then what was that uh, outcome? What was that exit that you guys did?
1: Absolutely. And you'll start to see a pattern here. It's always looking for things that other people haven't seen yet, right? So with Gideon and Internet to Anywhere, it was all about actually expanding the Internet Everywhere. People hadn't seen it yet, but they caught up. At F10, it was quite different. It was anticipating in the financial services, financial technology market, the shift from financial trading, where you would pick up the phone and talk to your broker, and you would actually do it online. And this is not mom and pop trading. We're talking about proprietary trading groups, hedge funds, et cetera. And the next step after being able to interact directly with the market was automating the trading, right? So black box, okay, algorithmic trading. Now you're putting your expertise into a system, artificial intelligence, machine learning, that's directly interacting with the system. All sounds great. Here's what people didn't identify, which we did. The risk management in each of those systems only applies within the system. It's a siloed approach to risk management. Whether it's don't trade in certain stocks, don't trade more than a certain amount of money, whatever the rules may be that you're trying to manage your risk, they're confined within that one silo. And the reality is you walk by a trading room and you'll see people with six, sometimes 10 or more Uh, screens on their their desk. They're each silos. So not only do they not have cross-siloed risk management, they also can't take advantage of cross-siloed opportunities. So we developed, patented, and deployed the first technology that actually enables you to cross those silos and see in real time within milliseconds what your trades were going to do vis-a-vis each other. So it's not that you could see everyone else's trades, but you could actually see yours. And since in the in the trading industry, different people have financial responsibility with your permission, you could also allow them to see it. So what did this mean for the first time ever, it was truly real time transparency and when you have real- time transparency, you can now exert real time control and what that meant surprisingly perhaps was that these hedge funds, these proprietary trading groups, could sometimes get ten times as much money to trade because the bank who was backing them knew they couldn't put a hole through the floor, right? And so, again, for the first time ever, different slices of data for different people, for different purposes, where you're maximizing revenue and upside by minimizing fat finger mistakes, bad trading. It can't make a good trader out of you, but it could stop really bad things happen that you didn't intend. And so when the flash crash happened, where trillions of dollars were sucked out of the U.S. market in minutes because of black boxes fighting with each other. NASDAQ OMX, who in the US has several exchanges, but globally powers more than a hundred exchanges. They swooped us up for nine figures and said, we need to put your technology everywhere around the globe. And so what we learned there is that you can actually maximize data value by minimizing misuse of data. And it's not so much a risk management play as it is a data value maximization play on the shoulders of risk management.
0: So we'll get back to our conversation in a minute. But if you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader, you want to listen to this. Let me tell you about Wingman. Not, no, no, not Tom Chris Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries with game tapes relevant to every sales situation, complete with highlights and notes, and it's asynchronous, I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even Syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to TryWingman.com to give it a try. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-G-M-A-N.com. It's just the wingman your sales needs to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. This episode is brought to you by Partner Hero, which provides customer service outsourcing that's built for the needs of scaling and high-growth startups. They offer flexible terms, fast onboarding, and the ability to scale teams quickly. Perfect for fast-growing business. I mean, let's face it, you know, you're all startups. You know, it's time for you to really stop trying to do absolutely everything. You need to get yourself out of the supporting box so you can actually focus on growing your business. So again, Partner Hero is flexible. They have quality assurance. They have offices around the world to really provide that help and support that you need. And if you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, then check out Partner Hero. Head over to partnerhero.com forward slash dealmakers. To book a free consultation with our solutions team and mention that you heard about Partner Hero from DealMakers and they'll waive the setup fee. So, what about the uh, level of uh, visibility that this gave you into exits? You know, because obviously, you know, nice outcome. You know, so now you get to see the full cycle in a really positive light. So, what did you get from that?
1: Yeah, I learned a lot. Um, and, and really, what it is is, if you're looking to sell your company, you are not going to be successful. If you're looking to change the world and you find someone who's aligned in your vision of what the world should be, you have got an exit and you've got a fantastic opportunity to work with them for at least several years as you help them to get going. And so in that instance, you had, and I'd have to say one of the most transformative things that I learned both prior to the sale to Nasdaq, OMX and afterwards, is that most people viewed risk management as reducing bad things. And that's a very important part of what risk management is. But when you look at risk management as a doorway to actually maximizing good things, all kinds of crazy positive things happen. And that's a lot of what I learned there. And that actually, the next company I was with was actually within NASDAQ. And that was an example of that, right? So we had an idea. uh, There was a contest within NASDAQ, they called it the BHAG contest. Who could come up with the biggest, hairiest, audacious goal? Right? And then you'd have contests and see who could get funded. And the, the BHAG that myself, my business partner at the time, and still Ted Meyerson came up with was what if we put financial trading data in the cloud, the commercial cloud? And that actually had not been done for many reasons, but one of them was broker dealers have to keep their data for seven years for many different transactions. And they have to keep it in write once, read many format, worm, preventing erasure or deletion had never been done in the cloud. And so we actually had the audacity, right? Big, hairy, audacious goal, to go to Seattle and meet with Andy Jassy, who now runs all of Amazon, but at the time he was running AWS. And we said, look, we got a fantastic idea for you. What's that? Put this financial data in the cloud. Can't, why not? Because there's always a key. (laughs) There's always a key that allows changes or deletion, and you can't have that. So with my legal background, Literally, myself, another colleague from Nasdaq, and two AWS engineers locked ourselves in a room and said, How do we overcome what seems to be an insurmountable limitation on this business opportunity? Very simple. And as as a recovering attorney, you'll appreciate this. It's called escrow. Put that key in a box, figuratively, right? And make it that it exists. But in order to access that, you have to have at least two parties agree. We got the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, and FINRA to agree to that. And Over time, the technological implementation of the concept has gotten much more advanced, but the fact that you could actually now have financial transaction data in the cloud and guarantee that it would not be modified or deleted without participation by a number of parties, therefore giving you that backstop, was huge and has opened up, I don't even want to guess, the billions of dollars of transactions that now occur in the cloud, but it's something people said couldn't be done, and you just had to approach the problem from a different direction and perspective, and yes, a solution exists.
0: So I mean, in 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 your case, this was the perfect segue into your baby now, Anonymous. Oh, so, uh, so yeah. So tell us about tell us about the sequence of events that needed to happen because obviously in Nasdaq, you know, now you were also part of doing that uh, that uh, transition, that uh, part of doing a deal, you know, doing an exit. But now, you know, all of a sudden, perhaps the time has come to really start your next company, because once a founder, always a founder. So so tell us about those different events that needed to happen in order for you to bring Anonos to life. Gary, for the the people that are listening, Gary, what ended up being the business model of Anonos? How do you guys uh, make money?
1: Yeah, so the reality is, if you look at what we did with F10, we exploded the expanse of what it covered, and we also reversed its approach. What the heck does all that mean? Well, F10 was all about relinking data that appeared unlinked and uncorrelated in the financial markets. And the epiphany we had is that there's much more data than financial data. So, what if we could address the entire market of data across all different vertical industries on a global basis? And the idea there was by inserting structured chaos into data streams, something people thought we were absolutely crazy to even think of because you didn't have to do it, you actually could then reverse that process so you could selectively reveal data so much as we learned at f10 risk management for risk management's sake is only reducing liability but when you can effectively risk manage you can have greater data use and value so what we set out to do and it took a couple of years to even determine if it was possible we were funding this ourselves the proceeds from f10 is could you obscure data that otherwise was clearly visible And when I say visible, I don't just mean visually. In fact, more so it's the relationships. You know, you are who you are. You live where you live. You worked where you worked. You did all those. What if you could obscure all those linkages and then selectively reveal bits or parts of them? And so doing when you provide selective access to an asset, people will pay more over time because they want different flavors of that asset. If I want a piece of pepperoni and I have to buy the entire pepperoni pie, when I want the second piece of pepperoni or the second slice, how much am I going to pay you for that? I already have it. Whereas if I can just selectively give you different elements of data at different levels of identifiability, you would maximize the value and utility. So happens when you do that, you're also maximizing privacy and security. And so by setting out to maximize the global value of data, By selectively controlling who could see and use what data, when, where, why, for what purpose, for how long, you actually protect it and secure it. And now fast forward 10 years later, the entire world is begging for this because data is plentiful, data is valuable, but it's also risky. And how do you make use of it without getting yourself and your customers and your partners in trouble?
0: And in terms of uh, capitalizing the company, Gary, how much uh, capital
1: have you guys raised to date? Uh, We just closed a $50 million financing. So the total financing to date has been $70 million.
0: And what has been the experience or the journey of uh, going through the different financings? And also, how have you been able to balance as well the expectations from investors from one cycle to the next?
1: Yeah, the the most challenging thing with Ananos is the fact that we were going contrarian to everybody, right? Everybody was, hey, make maximum use of data, relink it, do all these connections, and you can make a lot of money that way. We were shooting for, at some point in time, the ease of those relinkings and connections are going to come back and bite you. So early on, we, we financed itself. It was friends and family. It was people who knew what we had accomplished at F10, and therefore, they wanted a piece of the action, right? Uh, as I said, my business partner, Ted Ted Meyerson, it was like the, the, the Ted and Gary show. We want to be on the Ted and Gary show. They didn't understand exactly what we were doing, but we pulled it off before. As time has gone on, there's less and less of that. And the most recent financing, $50 million financing, that was actually a consortium of insurance companies who looked at what the technology enables and said, this is something that the industry needs, the entire industry, not just the insurance company. And so as time has gone on, there's been more and more of a recognition of what our technology can enable in the market. But the early years, it was just believers, right, who didn't quite understand what we were doing, but believed that we could bring something about that would be needed in the future.
0: So then let me ask you this. If you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Anonos is fully realized, what does that world look like?
1: That world is actually one where companies can control how much of their data is provided to their partners, okay, to the government, to each other, and to their customers in a way that is only the level that they want. And just as importantly, the consumers, the customers have that same control as well. So it's selectivity. Everyone can share that level of data that is needed and necessary and agreed upon, but no more. Because that information surplus, when you give people more than they actually need or ask for, is not an asset, it's a liability. And it also reduces the value of the asset that you want to share. So that's the future, where people can feel comfortable, they can mathematically and auditively prove that the data that they're sharing is no greater than needed and what they approved. That actually maximizes value for everybody and minimizes risk to everybody as well.
0: And also, in terms of scope and size of the business, I mean, how, how big is the, is, is the company? How big is Anonos today? Anything that you can share in terms of maybe number of employees or anything like that?
1: Yeah, we have 65 employees and more than half, well, about half of those actually, a little less than half, just joined us through an acquisition of a German company called Status GmbH. And we have three quarters of our employees in Europe. And so it's a combination of data scientists, uh, engineers, computer professionals, uh, as well as some biz dev and, and, and salespeople. But it's all about how you actually make use of data in a way that's protected and expansive. And so it's very much a global orientation footprint with more people, as I said, outside of the U.S. than in the U.S. So you've
0: been doing this for quite a while, Gary. So if I was to ask you, you know, if you had a conversation with your younger self, that younger partner at Hogan Lobels. and giving that younger Gary before going into the business world a piece of advice for launching a business? What would that be and why, given what you know now, after all these companies that you've been you know, leading?
1: I'd actually remind that younger version of myself of what my parents both taught me. You can accomplish anything you want if you're willing to work at it long enough. So Anonymous has been around 10 years. It's going to be one of those 10-year overnight sensations, right? Successes. If you have the vision and the drive and the desire and you truly believe in something and you're willing to be wrong, I always say I learn more when I'm wrong than when I'm right because when I'm right, I already knew it. If you're willing to surround yourself with capable people who challenge your every assumption and you grow together as a team through iteration and challenging one another and looking for new opportunities and ways to do things, anything is possible. And I think that's exactly what we're showing with the Nanos today.
0: I love it. So, Gary, so for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi?
1: Well, probably LinkedIn. It's Gary Lafever, L-A-F-E-V-E-R. Or you could email me. It's Gary, G-A-R-Y dot Lefevre, L-A-F-E-V-E-R at Ananos, A-N-O-N-O-S dot com. Love to hear from you.
0: Amazing. Well, Gary, it has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today.
1: All right. Take care. Thank you for your time.